is this the most important week of the Farhan Zaidi era? Well, we are about to find out. Welcome into another edition of the Kerry Crowley Show, talking all things Giants baseball. This week, that means Shohei Otani speculation, Yoshinobu Yamamoto rumors, and sizing up what the Giants must do to make this a successful offseason and head into 2024 with some newfound energy, some newfound confidence, and some newfound hope that this fan base desperately needs. I was there back in 2018 at the introductory press conference covering it for the Bay Area News Group when Farhan Zaidi was announced as the president of baseball operations for the San Francisco Giants. They were ushering in a new era, a new approach to player acquisition where Zaidi said at the time at the press conference, the famous words were, no move is too small. And he made that true. He went out and pursued minor league free agents. He went out and made dozens of waiver wire claims. He made minor trades for guys like Lamont Wade Jr. and Mike Yastrzemski, who would ultimately become important parts of the San Francisco Giants lineup. But that part of the Zaidi era I don't want to say it's over, but the Giants have reached a point where they absolutely have to be playing at the top end of the free agent market. They absolutely must infuse this franchise with star power, and they must land a top free agent this offseason. We're a better place to start than with the Otani speculation. We'll get to Yamamoto. We'll get to their pivot options, Blake Snell, Matt Chapman, and the like, and we'll also touch on potential trade opportunities for the Giants and what I hope is a comprehensive episode ahead of the winter meetings. But the way that I wanted to start this out is with Otani, with the timeline, and why I think that this week has the potential to be the most important of the Zaidi era in San Francisco. And so let's consider some of the other important weeks. I go back to February 2018 when I was down on the field in Scottsdale, Arizona and got word during a Giants spring training practice that the Giants had sent a contingent to Las Vegas, Farhan Zaidi, Larry Bear, to recruit Bryce Harper and to pitch him on the idea of signing with the Giants. It would have been a massive move for the team at the time. You're talking about a player who's a franchise linchpin for the Philadelphia Phillies right now, who'd already won an MVP with the Washington Nationals, a guy who was on the cover of Sports Illustrated at, what, 15, 16 years old, and he's one of the few who, at the time, has lived up to the hype. And so you have to give credit to the Giants for pursuing Bryce Harper, but you ultimately have to consider the fact that they came up short there, and that has been a theme of the Giants throughout their you know, recent free agent pursuits. And so whether it be John Lester, whether it be Bryce Harper, whether it be Aaron Judge, there are times the Giants have come up short, that being one of the most pivotal of the Zaidi era. So I would say that that week where they came up short, think about the potential it had to dictate the future of the organization. Think about how different the 2021 season might have been. If you have a 107-win team and you add Bryce Harper to that mix, maybe you dance past the Dodgers in the NLDS. Who knows what happens? But Let's talk about other important weeks. I think the hiring of Gabe Kapler was obviously important. The firing of Gabe Kapler and the hiring of Bob Melvin, those are important weeks. But ultimately, in my opinion, the manager only does so much for a roster. You're talking about player acquisition as the most important, far and away most important job of a president of baseball operations, of a general manager, of a top baseball executive. And so 2019 trade deadline, I think was important for the Giants because they had the opportunity to potentially trade Madison Bumgarner, trade Will Smith. That doesn't happen. You go to the 2021 trade deadline, also a very important one for Farhan Zaidi, when you knew that the Giants were going to have to battle with the Dodgers in the National League West, get down to the wire. They acquire Chris Bryant, which 
really has been one of the biggest acquisitions of the Farhan Zaidi era. They give up Alexander Canario, they give up Caleb Killian, and you could make the case that maybe they could have done more at that 2021 trade deadline. But no doubt in my mind, they infused the organization with the needed star power at the time. They helped build the roster with another centerpiece of that lineup and someone who had proven playoff success to that point, former MVP, Chris Bryant. So that was important. But you start to get through the Zaidi era, and I think that last year were particularly important weeks in December when they were going after Aaron Judge. It was right around this time, right around the start of the winter meetings, when the rumors began to heat up, when Judge was coming to San Francisco, meeting with a contingent from the San Francisco Giants. And ultimately, we know how this all ends. Arson Judge, the famous John Heyman gaffe. We know that he goes back to the Yankees. We know that Judge called Hal Steinbrenner and essentially got the deal done to return to the Yankees on his own, bypassing the agent process, bypassing the Giants, and who knows whether the Giants had the biggest offer, the Padres had the biggest offer, whether Judge would have ever seriously considered playing elsewhere once the Yankees came through with a number that met his desired figure. But I think that what was really important that came out of that was the Giants pivoted. The Giants had an initial reaction. I'll talk about this later with regard to Otani and Yamamoto, but the Giants pivot was to one of the big four free agents on the market last offseason. You had Trey Turner, you had Xander Bogarts, you had Dansby Swanson, you had Carlos Correa. And the Giants made it their intent to sign Correa and bring him to San Francisco. You look at all the previous failed free agent pursuits from Lester to Harper to Otani, then you've got Aaron Judge, and they pivoted, they pivoted quickly, and they get the terms done. They get the 13-year, what was it, $350 million deal that was going to bring Carlos Correa to San Francisco, and then, boom, he fails the medicals, and the history of the Giants struggling to land top free agents continues. It's yet another chapter, maybe the most epic chapter in recent failures of the Giants organization in attracting top talent on the free agent market to come to San Francisco. So they had attracted Correa. They had got the deal done. Correa was all in on signing with the San Francisco Giants, but it doesn't happen because he fails the medicals. The Giants say, hey, it's not going to work out. They didn't ultimately renegotiate a contract. He goes, he does the deal with the Mets. Medicals failed there. Gets the deal with the Twins. It all works out for him in Minnesota. Carlos Correa gets a pretty darn good contract at the end of the day. Not what he would have gotten in San Francisco, but nevertheless, another week that was pivotal in the Farhan Zaidi era. And in my opinion, one of the weeks that has come to define the Farhan Zaidi era in San Francisco. Because you look at what the Giants have done. They've built on the margins of their roster relatively well. I think that the floor of the Giants roster, you know, spots 17 through 26, if you're talking about a 26-man roster, it is better under Farhan Zaidi than maybe it was under Bobby Evans and Brian Sabian. The difference is the floor of your roster does not win you titles. When the Giants won in 2010, 2012, and 2014, the top-tier talent they had, the pitchers at the front end of the rotation, the bullpen, Buster Posey being the catcher, the number one player on that roster, it could match the top talent on other teams. And so the Giants had a core, the Giants had a championship caliber roster, top to bottom, that was simply built for playoff success. And what the Giants don't have right now and haven't had for the last two seasons are the top tier players to pair with a Logan Webb and a Camilo Doval at the top of this Giants roster and say, this is a core that's good enough to challenge the Dodgers in the West, to challenge the other teams in the National League for a pennant, and to ultimately go to the World Series. And so the entire objective of this offseason is to find players who are top tier, one, two, three, four, five spots 
on your roster. You can say day in, day out, these are the guys. And no surprise, Shohei Otani is at the top of the list, this list because he would be number one on every roster in Major League Baseball right now. And so the Giants, rumored to be in pursuit of Otani, John Morosi has tied them to them publicly. Jeff Passan put out a very interesting article on ESPN on Friday morning saying that, yes, the Dodgers, the Cubs, the Blue Jays, and the Angels are still in on Otani, and no one quite knows where the Giants stand on Otani, even though the Giants have long had a fondness for this guy. And what team doesn't have a fondness for this guy? I tell you, the Oakland A's, the Tampa Bay Rays, two teams that will not be signing Otani, they probably have a fondness for the guy as well. It's hard not to love the way that Otani plays baseball. It's hard not to love the way that he reshaped what we knew was possible in the game of baseball. And so I say all this because I think that we are reaching a point where Shohei Otani's suitor pool might be getting smaller. Passing reporting on Friday morning, December 1st, that teams like the Red Sox, like the Mets, that may have had Otani on their radar, like the Rangers, are out. And so that limits the pool of teams that will ultimately sign the best free agent in Major League Baseball history. And so what we're looking at right now is a culmination of the free agency. In my opinion, it could happen in the next 7 to 10 days. It probably will happen in the next seven to 10 days because Major League Baseball needs this deal to get done. Other free agents need to know what Otani is signing for so that the market can be set. Not that any way uh, the market is set based on what Otani signs for because he's such a different player, but so that teams know that they have the pocketbooks, that they have the salary room to go out and sign, say, a Blake Snell, a Matt Chapman, a Cody Bellinger. The teams that are still in on Otani are waiting to find out what his decision will be because they then need to pivot and go look at the other top free agents available and see how much they can spend on those players. And so I do think that this deal will get done sometime within the next seven to 10 days. I also think that a Yoshinobu Yamamoto deal could get done. And it's possible that the top free agent coming out of Japan this year, the ace pitcher who's won their version of the Cy Young Award three years in a row, I think it's entirely possible that he signs before Otani because we're talking about a pitcher versus in 2024, Otani's going to be a hitter. I think there are teams such as the Dodgers who might get antsy and might say, hey, we know that Otani is going to make his decision, but we still want Yamamoto on our roster. Here's $250 million over 10 years. We're excited to have you. And so we will get into that and a little bit more here. But I, I think one of the important things that I wanted to touch on this morning and something that I've touched on on previous episodes of the Kerry Crowley Show is what an Otani contract ultimately looks like. Because there's a lot of speculation running rampant right now over what this deal, when it comes to fruition, finally is. Passing reporting, no surprise that it will exceed $500 million. That's what I've said from the outset. He also said on ESPN, one source saying that it could exceed $600 million. And that, to me, is where this gets interesting because a 12-year, $600 million deal for Shohei Otani would be an average annual value of $50 million, which would blow past the record-setting mark set by Max Scherzer, which is $43.3 million right now on his three-year deal with the New York Mets that was ultimately traded to the Texas Rangers. And I do believe the Mets are still covering a significant portion of that contract. But nevertheless, that is the highest average annual value for a contract in Major League Baseball history. So blowing past that would be 12 years for $600 million. And maybe you lessen the blow. Maybe you make it 13 for 600 I don't know. But at the end of the day, I think the most realistic contract for the Giants to give Shohei Otani, and really maybe for any team to give Shohei Otani, is a 13-year, 
572 million dollar deal or something in that range and here's how i came to those numbers 13 years the longest contract any player has signed for in major league baseball so you're tying a record there 572 million you're far surpassing the 426 and a half million dollar contract that mike trout had with the angels and of course that wasn't a free agent deal that was an extension but nevertheless it is a major league record for total sum of a contract and also with 13 for 572 the average annual value breakdown of that is 44 million dollars and so you're surpassing what max scherzer had earned in free agency you're making sure that it's a record-setting deal and here's why i think that's what the giants need to do to get otani in the building Number one, it is no question that they need star power. This is the franchise of Mays, McCovey, Marichal, Cepeda. When fans watched this Giants team from 1958 on, when this team came over from the polo grounds out to San Francisco, first started playing at Seal Stadium and then Candlestick Park, the Giants had star power. They had players who made you want to go out to the ballpark and watch them, even if Candlestick Park wasn't the most desirable place to go see a baseball game. They had some of the best players on the field. And that tradition has really run through the organization for so long. I've done entire episodes on the tradition of the San Francisco Giants. When you go from those players into the Jack Clark, Will Clark era, the Giants signing of Barry Bonds back in 1992, 1993 to reset the franchise when Peter McGowan and the group of investors saved the Giants from being moved out of San Francisco. And ultimately, Bonds helps them build Oracle Park, helps them build at China Basin, which is just an incredible achievement. But you go from Bonds into an era where you've got Tim Lincecum, where you've got Matt Cain, where you've got Buster Posey, where you've got Madison Bumgarner. And Buster Posey was the last true in my opinion, league-wide star for the San Francisco Giants. So his retirement after the 2021 season leaves them with a major void. And you can make the argument, I've made it, that Logan Webb fills that void. The guy came in second in the Cy Young voting this year. He's on an extremely team-friendly deal right now at five years, $90 million on that extension that he signed at the outset of the 2023 season. But I don't know that Logan Webb is yet viewed by the rest of Major League Baseball as a true star. And I think that in San Francisco, people are still warming up to the idea that he's going to be here for a while and that he's going to be this good for a while because he's not the blow you away with strikeout stuff type of guy. He just induces a ton of ground balls. He goes seven innings, gives up two runs every start. He is exactly what you want in a modern pitcher. It just looks a little bit more similar to, say, a Matt Kane, the way that he gets the job done, than a Tim Linscombe, where there was just this aura surrounding him that made it impossible to turn away during a Linscombe start. Linscombe could give up four runs over five innings, and I'd still want to watch the final out of those innings. If the same happened for Matt Kane, you're probably okay going to the bathroom at some point during the TV broadcast, stepping up and going to get your garlic fries during a game at Oracle Park. And so... All of that is to say, I think that Logan Webb is a national star. I think that he will come to be recognized as a star. But the Giants also need someone who's playing every single day, someone who's on the field seven days a week, and Otani accomplishes that as a designated hitter, as a guy who is in your lineup consistently, 140 games a year, someone who your fans can count on to be out there when they show up to the ballpark and they wear their Otani jerseys. And so... Another thing that I want to keep in mind in the Giants' pursuit of Otani, a lot of people in the comments section on recent videos have said, Otani won't sign with the Giants. Why would he want to play at Oracle Park? There are other teams with more feasible paths to winning that Otani could go to that offer him better opportunities. And you know what? For the most part, I kind of agree with you. 
I think that if I was a free agent player right now, especially a hitter, especially a DH, I was looking for the best opportunity to win a World Series in 2024. What better opportunity than to go play with Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman down in Los Angeles? Heck, Otani wouldn't even have to move. The guy lives in Southern California. Yeah, his commute might be longer, but it's just easier for him to say, I'm going to sign with the Dodgers, or say he goes to the Chicago Cubs. That could be a hitter's paradise. I mean, Otani could be breaking records if he's playing at Wrigley Field. If the wind's blowing out, it's a great day to hit. You know what Otani does? He hits a lot of fly balls with backspin, get a little additional carry to them. Man, you could see the records that Otani would be putting up. And so, The Giants offer a unique challenge, and because of their ballpark, because it's not a hitter-friendly atmosphere in a game, in a ballpark where so many games are played with 58 to 62 degree weather throughout the year, and gosh, I love the weather in San Francisco. I think it's the greatest in the country, having lived all over the United States. I, I would take San Francisco weather over anywhere, but I don't know that baseball players feel the same way, and so I think that Otani is someone who would have to be given a bigger contract to sign in San Francisco than to sign elsewhere. And so what I'm saying is all things equal at these pitches. Let's say the Giants are pitching. Let's say the Dodgers are pitching. Let's say the Blue Jays and the Cubs are still in and pitching Otani on coming to their cities. I think that if all those pitches work out and all the contracts were theoretically even, I don't see Otani signing with the Giants. I see Otani signing with the Giants if the money is significantly better than it would be elsewhere. So say the Dodgers are willing to go to 530, the Giants might need to be willing to go to 575 or 600. Say the Cubs are willing to go to 550, again, 575 or 600, maybe even more. But what we know through the history of free agency and through the Giants' recent failures in signing the big ticket free agents is that the Giants now have an understanding of this. Farhan Zaidi, Greg Johnson, now have an understanding that it takes more to get a hitter to Oracle Park. It takes more to convince a top free agent to come play for the San Francisco Giants, which is why the future is building through the farm system and supplementing from the outside, having your stars come through the farm system, having your complementary players come from the outside because it's easier to sign those players. But for the Giants right now, they haven't been able to grow a homegrown position player star, especially in the outfield, for a long time. And so with Otani, you're getting someone you're willing to overpay for him because he becomes the centerpiece of your future core. He becomes the guiding light for the next era of Giants baseball. And so aside from needing to sign him for the fact that they need star power, aside from needing to overpay for Otani, there's another thing to consider with Otani's free agency that I think a lot of Giants fans probably have realistically accepted, even if they don't want to hear it. And that is, I've said time and time again, I don't consider the Giants a front runner for Otani. I don't see how you could really ever consider the Giants a front runner for a top free agent hitter. But what I do think is that knowing all of that, the Giants have to have a contingency plan in place. They have to be voting 95% of their time to figuring out every possible way to get Otani to San Francisco. And if that doesn't happen, they have to strike quick. Much like their contingency plan last year was Carlos Correa. When they didn't sign Aaron Judge, great. They pivoted. The issue after not signing Correa or not completing that deal with Correa is the pivot beyond that, the plan C, set the franchise back. Mitch Haniger, Michael Conforto, Sean Manaya, Ross Stripling, Taylor Rogers, it was a lot of players. They didn't add a whole lot of value. You look at their war, just purely statistically speaking, it didn't pay off for the Giants to go with that big of a free agent haul. They would have been better off taking a step back as a franchise and saying, we're going to let some kids play than signing all those players and saying, well, 
you know, we got some guys who are proven at the major league level. We just don't know what they'll give us in San Francisco, especially because almost every member of that group had flaws. Ross Stripling had not thrown a ton of innings throughout his major league career. Sean Manaya really struggled during the 2022 season. Michael Conforto didn't play in 2022 and Mitch Haniger oft injured. What could you expect realistically from that group if you didn't have the anchor players inside your organization who were able to prop up the franchise and win you games on their back. Brandon Crawford wasn't that guy last year. Of course, the Giants didn't replace Buster Posey behind the plate. Patrick Bailey could be that guy in the future. But again, all of that is behind them. So if the Giants don't get Otani, they have to figure out a way to pivot. I'll talk about Yoshinobu Yamamoto in just a moment. But if the pivot isn't there, if the Giants don't get Otani, and they don't sign someone like a Yamamoto, someone like a Blake Snell to fortify the rotation and go all in on pitching or trade for a superstar caliber bat like Juan Soto, even though I've said I don't think that trade's realistic for the Padres to go in the division, I think it will be very difficult for anyone to consider, ultimately, at the end of the day, the Farhan Zaidi era a success in San Francisco, which is why this week is so important for the Farhan Zaidi era. Because... You can go. You can miss out on Bryce Harper in your first year. You can still win 107 games. You could miss out on Aaron Judge and Carlos Correa. And ultimately, should the Giants have moved on from Zaidi at the end of the season, there's a case that they should have, but they didn't. And so because he gets this extra year, extra few years in San Francisco, his tenure will be defined by what he does this offseason to set the Giants up for success. And what the Giants have done so far is be in on Otani, be in on Yamamoto, be in on the other players, but they haven't done anything yet. And so if they don't get Otani, if they don't get Yamamoto, and they don't pivot successfully, it's just difficult to see a path forward in any way where we can say that Farhan Zaidi's tenure in San Francisco will ultimately be a success. And maybe next offseason, there'll be other names available. But again, you're likely taking a step back if you don't sign those guys and your pivot isn't good this year, much like it wasn't last year. So Yet another reason I think that this is one of the most important weeks of the Farhan Zaidi era in San Francisco, Yoshinobu Yamamoto poised to potentially sign with the team. The negotiating window for Yamamoto, who's been posted from his team in Japan to come to the United States to sign with the team, doesn't end until January 4th. But Yamamoto is so good that he is the top free agent pitcher available in a market that includes the reigning Cy Young winner in the National League in Blake Snell, a market that includes a guy who's been incredibly durable throughout his career in Aaron Nola, who already signed the seven-year, $172.5 million contract with the Philadelphia Phillies. But as Otani begins considering his final destination, I think it's also the week where Yamamoto likely considers his. Because if you're Blake Snell, if you're Jordan Montgomery, if you're Eduardo Rodriguez or any of the other free agent pitchers available right now, you want to know how teams are valuing Yamamoto as a free agent, even though he really doesn't compare all that similarly because he hasn't pitched in Major League Baseball and he's significantly younger than most of the free agent pitchers available. We're talking about someone who's hitting free agency at 25 years old, which is part of the reason his arm is so rare and so valuable. Even though he's thrown a ton of innings early in his career in Japan, you're still banking on the fact that he's going to be durable for the next eight to 10 seasons in Major League Baseball. And so I think that the issue for the Giants with Yamamoto is the suitor list, the list of teams who are interested in this guy to be the anchor of their rotation is in all likelihood longer, bigger, includes more franchises who can spend more money than the suitor list for Shohei Otani, which I think 
has largely narrowed down to four or five teams. Unless there's some sort of a big mystery, unless Steve Cohen gets a wild hair and says the Mets are getting him no matter what, I think it's the Cubs, the Dodgers, who I would consider the front runners, the Giants, the Blue Jays, and maybe the Angels, although I just really find it hard to believe that Otani would go back to the Angels given the lack of success that that franchise has had with both him and Mike Trout down in Anaheim. And so for Yamamoto, I think the market opens up. I think it includes the Red Sox. I think it includes the Yankees. I think it includes the Mets, potentially the Rangers, even though they might be trying to slash some salary this offseason. I think that the market for Yamamoto is bigger. We all know that when the market is bigger, it doesn't favor the San Francisco Giants. And so that's one of the reasons I think that Farhan Zaidi has got to be ready to pivot because if Yamamoto is ready to sign this week, which who knows, he very well could be, it may take him another week or two, which could push back Blake Snell, which could push back Jordan Montgomery. I still believe that the Giants should be ready to say they miss out on Otani, go all in on Yamamoto. Because think about the future of the Giants organization. If you have Logan Webb, you have Yamamoto, and you have Kyle Harrison developing into the type of pitcher that you believe he's going to be, you've got a three-headed monster atop that rotation that should, at the very least, keep you in contention for years to come. And while Yamamoto is probably going to sign a contract in the 225 to $300 million range this offseason, maybe it's eight to 10 years, and that's a huge average annual value, I don't think that contract will prevent you from going and signing supplementary players in free agency on the hitter side. Now, as I mentioned, it's incumbent on the Giants to develop position players because it's so much harder to lure a hitter to Oracle Park than it is a pitcher. But I do think you can build a contender on an outstanding starting rotation, which is what the Giants would potentially have with Webb, with Harrison, with Yamamoto, with maybe Mason Black, Keaton Wynn, Tristan Beck. One of these guys develops into a true number two or number three, then they become the number four in your rotation. That, to me, would be a great development for the San Francisco Giants. I, I think that the nightmare scenario for the Giants over the next week, and again, one of the weeks that really will define the Farhan Zaidi tenure, if Otani signs, if Yamamoto signs, the nightmare scenario is Otani signs with the Dodgers and Yamamoto immediately goes elsewhere. Say to the Mets, say to the Red Sox, because the pivot options after that, especially in free agency, are relatively limited. Like Blake Snell, I love the guy. Two Cy Youngs, incredibly fun to watch when he's throwing strikes, when he's getting whiffs, but you're not watching Blake Snell in the seventh and eighth inning, at least not based on his career track record. And so I think that that puts you at a little bit of a disadvantage, knowing that you'll have to rely on your bullpen a little bit more over the course of the season, as opposed to someone like a Yamamoto, like an Aaron Nola, who I see pitching deeper into games over the next several years than I see with Blake Snell. And again, that's just my personal projection based on their track records, but take that for what it's worth. You're listening to the show this deep, so you've got to like at least some component of this. Now, the other component to what makes this a really important week for the San Francisco Giants, and I touched on this at the outset of the show, if they don't get Otani, if they don't get Yamamoto, they've got to pivot, and that pivot has to leave them in a better place than their pivot last year after they missed out on Judge, after they failed to sign Carlos Correa. So, Blake Snell, Matt Chapman, those are the obvious ways the Giants can go. Maybe it's Eduardo Rodriguez and Matt Chapman. Maybe it's Cody Bellinger and another player. But I do think that if you miss out on those top two guys, there's a lot of uncertainty. There are certain flaws in the players who are still available. Matt Chapman, as I mentioned before, has had incredibly hot months during his career. He's comfortable in the Bay Area, but he's also had months where he's gone ice cold with the bat. 
Cody Bellinger has been an MVP, but he's had seasons where he's gone ice cold with the bat. Can you really give a guy 10 years, $250 million, if you think there's a possibility he hits under 200? And we're not talking about the Kyle Schwarber under 200 where he hits 40 bombs. We're talking about the Cody Bellinger under 200 where you're really limiting the OPS there. And so I think that you're just taking on added risk if you don't pay a premium and you don't overpay for the top guys on the market in an Otani and a Yamamoto. The other thing the Giants can do though, and I think that this is really important. Earlier this week, I did a whole episode on this subject. That is trade for stars because there are a lot of teams because of the TV situations in Major League Baseball, the RSN distribution model is falling apart. There are teams that are looking to slash payroll. The Minnesota Twins are one. The Cleveland Guardians are another. The Texas Rangers might be slashing payroll with their deal running out with Bally Sports, which has hit bankruptcy. I don't want to get into the mechanics of Bally Sports and all of that, but the Giants are in a better position from a TV distribution standpoint because they're a Comcast Sports Network than the teams with Bally Sports. And so there are players that could be available. I've touched on Corbin Burns, the Milwaukee Brewers, Tyler Glass now of the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, I think that Dylan Cease, the Chicago White Sox, definitely a name to monitor, but I don't see the Giants being willing to pay that price in terms of the acquisition cost of prospects that Cease would require. And so you're looking at deals that will require you to give up players, which is why free agency is better because you're giving up money as opposed to players. And you're banking on those guys, say a Burns, say, say a Glass now, wanting to sign in San Francisco long-term because you don't want to give up your young talent if you're only getting one season, two seasons out of the players that you're trading for. And so one of the packages that I talked about earlier this week that I think could be really attractive to San Francisco, say you miss out on the top free agents, you get Matt Chapman in the building. You sign him, whatever it takes, six years, 150 million, you have to overpay a free agent hitter, so what? You get someone who you can depend on to be in your lineup every single day. Then you offer a package to the Milwaukee Brewers, and maybe it does have to include Marco Luciano. And that's something that's difficult to stomach. But maybe it's Luciano, it's Casey Schmidt, it's Mason Black for Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas. You're looking at bringing in a proven veteran shortstop, be in the lineup every day next season, play solid defense. You're looking at a proven veteran ace who can pair with Logan Webb atop the rotation. And you hope that Kyle Harrison develops into that true number three by next season with the ceiling being a number one or a number two. That is the deal that I would look at. And there's rumors that the Orioles are looking at Corbin Burns right now. There's rumors that other teams are looking at Tyler Glass now of the Tampa Bay Rays. And who knows? Maybe the Giants go and call up the Tampa Bay Rays. Farhan's done it many times throughout his career and makes that call and says, we want Glass now. What does it take? Maybe the Rays are willing to do a deal where they take a Keaton win, a Tristan Beck, and you don't have to give up a Luciano. But what I am saying is that there are pivot options in the trade market this year that maybe haven't existed in previous years because the RSN model is crumbling, because Bally Sports has gone bankrupt, because so many teams that relied on this TV revenue are not knowing what they're going to get this season. So the Giants operate from a position of strength. They operate from a position of certainty. Maybe the Cleveland Guardians would trade Shane Bieber. We know they're listening to offers on closure. Emmanuel Classe. Could you imagine Classe and Doval at the back end of the Giants' bullpen? Be like watching Devin Williams and Josh Hader for the Milwaukee Brewers the last few seasons. Two of the best closers in all of baseball for the Giants if they were able to acquire Classe. But again, who knows what those pivot options are? All I know is that if Otani and Yamamoto go elsewhere, the Giants are going to need to turn to the trade market because there are just too many flawed players 
in free agency. You can sign a Blake Snell, you can sign a Matt Chapman. That will make you incrementally better, I believe, than the Giants were in 2023 in 2024. I think you take a 79-win team and you maybe make them an 84-win team. But if you truly want to contend, if you truly want to compete next year, I think you're looking at potentially having to give up young talent. Casey Schmidt, Marco Luciano, Keaton Wynn, Tristan Beck, Mason Black. You're looking at sacrificing some of these guys who might be part of your future core to get better immediately. Because the bottom line is, for the San Francisco Giants in 2024, they must be better. The fans have spoken. The empty seats at Oracle Park are a mandate. You can tweet all you want. You can send emails all you want. You can call your you know, ticket relations representative all you want. But at the end of the day, the thing that speaks loudest to Greg Johnson, Farhan Zaidi, and everyone else in the Giants organization is the fact that the ballpark looks different and feels different when there's 20,000 empty seats on a nightly basis. It's not the mean tweets, it's not the hard, harshly worded emails, and it's not the frustrated phone calls that ultimately get them to spend money and ultimately get them to put a winning and compelling product on the field in 2024. It's the fact that when they don't fill the ballpark, they lose money. And when they don't fill the ballpark, it's an embarrassment to the organization. And that's really what happened at the end of the 2023 season. I know for a fact there were a lot of people inside the organization who were very frustrated with the fact that the Giants just simply couldn't fill Oracle Park because the product wasn't compelling enough. That is a mandate from fans to go and spend money. That is a mandate from the front office to go out and sign big ticket free agents or make bold, big trades to bring in the star power the Giants desperately crave. Again, this is the franchise of Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, Orlando Cepeda. Fans who've been watching the Giants since 1958 when they moved to San Francisco, all they've ever known is stars. And yes, there was tremendous disappointment and angst for their first 52 seasons in San Francisco because the Giants didn't bring home a title. But in 2010, things changed. Things changed dramatically when the Giants built their homegrown core and added from the outside to supplement that core. At the trade deadline through free agency, they had Buster Posey, they had Tim Linscombe, they had Matt Cain, they had Madison Bumgarner, but they also brought in outside pieces. Say a Cody Ross, who had some of the most fortuitous hits in Giants history. Fortuitous is probably not the right word. Maybe it was one of the most fortuitous acquisitions in Giants history and some of the best hits in Giants playoff history. But you get the point. The Giants trajectory as an organization changed. They've always had the stars, then they had the titles in 2010, 2012, and 2014. And what they have right now is a lack of stars and a lack of a roster that can put them in a position to go out and win the division, to win a wild card spot, to compete in the postseason, and ultimately win a World Series. And in San Francisco, a town with the Golden State Warriors right now, a town where the 49ers are perennial contenders, as long as Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are doing what they're doing, you have to have stars to compete. It's a market of attention, and the Giants simply haven't grabbed enough of it of late. That's why this week, winter meetings in Nashville, their opportunity to grab the attention. And I'll say this, I don't know if Shohei Otani's agent, Nez Bolello, will be in Nashville at winter meetings. In fact, it would surprise me if Otani's camp had a presence there because his free agency is simply different. But what I do know is that while all these teams are gathering, there will always be one eye from all the teams who are still in on what Otani is doing. There will always be one eye on all the teams who still want to spend money on a Yamamoto, on a Cody Bellinger, who still want to trade for a Juan Soto or a Tyler Glass now. 
on what Otani does, which is why this free agency probably has to culminate in the next seven to 10 days. And when that free agency culminates, whether or not Otani is a giant, and again, I wouldn't bet on it, but they are in the race. We must know what the Giants plan is moving forward. If it's Otani in San Francisco, tremendous. It's a new fresh start on the Zaidi era, and it absolutely is the most important week of the Zaidi era. If Otani goes elsewhere, it still remains one of the most important weeks during his tenure in San Francisco, because what the Giants do next will dictate the future of an organization that desperately wants to change the path it has been on for the last two seasons. Thank you so much for watching The Kerry Crowley Show. Before I sign off here on YouTube, or if you're listening on the podcast, really want to thank everyone who's listened so far since this got going in late August, early September. Earlier this week, we crossed 500 subscribers on YouTube, which might sound small, certainly is compared to the big creators out there, but I have a full-time job. I work on the side elsewhere as well. I do this because I love it. I do this because I really want to get better and practice at podcasting, practice on the radio, practice these monologues. And the fact that you as a listener, you as a viewer are willing to put up with me till the very end here means so much to me because, look, not everything I say is going to come across crystal clear. There might be times where I contradict myself. And you know what? I'm working to get better. The whole goal of this show is to entertain you. The whole goal of this show is to provide insight on a Giants organization that I've now spent eight years of my life talking about, covered the team for five seasons as a beat reporter, been on the radio since 2017. 2024 is going to be another season where I'm excited to talk Giants baseball. I'm excited because you're invested. Look, I'm happy to do this for free. I'm happy to continue doing this as long as you're interested, as long as you're invested, as long as you're entertained. So thank you so much. That 500 viewer, excuse me, that 500 subscriber milestone on YouTube was huge for me. The podcast numbers are up and I just really can't thank you enough. So if you enjoy the show, please share it with a friend. Please share it with someone you know in your life who loves Giants baseball. Let's connect because nothing to me is more fun than talking about this organization, where it's headed. Sit down next year, watch most of the 162 games. We'll do it all together right here on the Kerry Crowley Show. Thank you so much.